Welcome to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill, and I'm talking with our chairman of the Republican Party of New Mexico, former congressman of the 2nd Congressional District of New Mexico, Steve Pierce. And Steve, how about that? Not guilty. President Trump found not guilty of insurrection. Well, not guilty, number one, but number two, you have to realize that the Supreme Court Chief Justice is supposed to conduct impeachment trials. He did not even want to walk across the street to do it. The Supreme Court in Washington is literally right across the street from the U.S. Senate, so he could just walk across the street and be participating. But he felt like that it was just a political theater from the beginning, and so he would not participate. They went ahead with almost no rules. If they had found him guilty, would that have not been a legitimate verdict? Well, that would have been a question for a different court, whether the conviction could stand and and be legitimate since it was unconstitutional to begin with. But uh, I think that uh, Trump's defense started out very badly. I think they were taking it for granted that they could just make the constitutional argument that they shouldn't be going on. But uh, when I was talking to Newsmax, I made the point that there are two trials going on, one inside the Senate chamber, but the other in the minds of the public who are watching this on TV. They'll never understand the nuances of the constitutional questions of freedom of speech. All they will know is the image that they've been given. I think that the criticism of the Trump team's first day performance, again, got a lot of attention. And so when they came out on Friday They really, really did a superb job. I think probably the most compelling thing to me was that the defense had made the point that, well, it wasn't just Trump's speech to the group there on January the 6th. It was also the narrative that the election should not stand. And so it's very compelling when they played Jamie Raskin. I served with him in the Congress. He's the lead on the prosecution for the House of Representatives. And they played him objecting to the electoral votes being cast for Trump in 2016. Then they went ahead after he was gaveled down, one after another after another of Democrats stood up to object to Trump being certified. It was exactly what Trump was requesting that Republicans do, uh, but the Democrats were actually doing it on the floor during the mixed proceedings. And, And curiously, it was Joe Biden sitting in the chair and he kept asking, is there a senator on your objection? And they had to have an objection by both a House member and a Senate member for it to have standing. And he kept gaveling them down. So that was very compelling. It was also very compelling when the defense showed how that the tweets that they were showing to the American public were actually doctored, that they were not what President Trump put out at all. So the falsifying of information in a real court, the lawyers would have been subject to penalties, maybe even jail time for falsifying evidence that they put up. Again, the Senate trial is completely different. Now, a lot of people are kind of confused about the impeachment and what it actually means. The impeachment actually is the grand jury investigation. That's what goes on in the House. The impeachment is the process of asking, is there suitable information to move forward to a trial? So when people say, was Trump impeached? Yes, the impeachment did happen. That's what happens in the House. But then the key question is, was he convicted? And the answer is no. So one of the memes going around was Trump in the first picture on the phone, Nancy Pelosi in the second picture picking it up. He says, this is Owen. And she says, Owen who? And then the third, of course, is Sam smiling big, Owen too, meaning that Nancy Pelosi and her attempts to impeach President Trump was O for two in her attempts to find a conviction there. It was, I think, really a magnificent day for the defense and for Republicans. You note that in a surprise move, 
the defense, the Jamie Raskin and his group of prosecutors from the House, they made a motion to call witnesses. And so then the Senate adjourned. I'm sure that Schumer was back there saying, if you want to see Nancy Pelosi up in front of the camera explaining what she knew about the defense of the Capitol and the fact that Trump did offer to bring in extra security for the Capitol on uh, the 6th and both the Capitol Police, therefore, because they work directly for Nancy Pelosi, they would have known, she would have known and would have been on record for having rejected extra protection there for the Capitol on the day that uh, they were saying that, that Trump is inciting insurrection. And so all in all, the case was just political theater from the beginning. It was also very compelling because they used the word that the president said, we're going to go down and we're going to fight. you got to fight for your country. you got to do this. They conveniently clipped out that he says, we're going to fight for this country and you're going to find somebody to primary every single one of the Republicans who don't have the courage of their convictions here. And so he followed up right in the same breath that fight meant work in the primaries and the political system, not go down to the Capitol. But the Democrats had conveniently clipped that out of their presentation and the Trump defense lawyers put it in so that people could actually hear it. Many of these things that they were putting up had never been seen on network TV. The cable networks had carried it. Fox News had carried it. But the main networks had never, never, never put any of these defenses for Trump up. So having the American public see it is the only reason that defense witnesses want to be called. Well, that's the reason for the move by the prosecutors, Jamie Raskin and the others from the House to call witnesses, because the left was crazy furious that the defense had made the prosecution look so inept, like they didn't have a case. So they were storming the Twitter accounts and demanding that more be done. And out of a kind of a defensive, not very well thought out position, the defense said they were going to call witnesses. And I'm sure that Chuck Schumer talked sense into them because they went ahead and had the vote yesterday. Otherwise, this trial could have strung out for months and months and months. And there'll be far more damage to the Democrats by witnesses being called than to Republicans. Let's talk about insurrection. Is there some kind of Republican code book that I don't have where the president told people to go tear down the Capitol? Because I sure never heard that in his speech. Yeah, I've read the entire transcript multiple times, and he never, never says that. He says, we're going to peacefully walk down there, and we're going to express our opinions to those Republicans, and we're going to encourage the strong ones and the weak ones. He said, they may not be there, but uh, we're going to go and encourage them. And he said, you know who the weak ones are, and uh, we'll primary them if we have to. So that was all he ever said in the speech, the attempt to say that he was inciting to riot and that there was some code words in there that simply wouldn't stand up in a court of law. How about Mitch McConnell? I was kind of disappointed. On one hand, he says the president did it, but he voted not to convict. How's that for what you call riding the fence? Yeah, I was. Uh, I listened to that entire speech and was deeply, deeply disappointed in Mitch McConnell. I know him personally. I've worked with him. I've found him to be sometimes a little wishy-washy, but I think he's been tremendously strong in getting the Trump nominees for the Supreme Court and all of the federal court positions that were open. He's been very strong in getting those things done, stood with Trump all the way through the election, but uh, after the election began to distance himself, and I think this speech was really a low point for Senator McConnell. 
He's saying that there is absolutely no grounds on which to question the election. We here in New Mexico have absolute grounds that maybe it's enough to turn around the election. Maybe it's not. That's not the significant question. It is were there irregularities that some court or some agency or some select committee actually reviews. And there are plenty of reasons to review a lot. I saw them happening here in New Mexico. I can't speak for other states, but when he says there's no reason for question, nothing there, that it was surely a scam perpetrated by the former president, I disagree pretty heartily with that. Then you got the seven Republicans who voted against Trump to convict, and I suspect that they will find the same thing back home that Liz Cheney is experiencing. Her popularity is now 13% in Wyoming, and Trump generally runs about 87 to 88% of Republican votes, so I suspect everyone who voted for Trump is now now going to vote against Liz Cheney. There's no way she survives in the coming primary election. And I think that other people are going to find the same. Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, again, I know him, served in the House with him before he went to the Senate, have been over to the Senate to visit with him. So I know him well. And he rode Trump's coattails all the way through the election, declaring how Trump and he were great friends. And then to turn like this, along with this political theater, and I think he will find that the voters in his district lean more towards Trump than to him. Frankly, I think that a lot of the senators, Ben Sass from Nebraska, again, leaned heavily on the president during the campaign. It was a close race there in Nebraska. And so I suspect that he's got to answer some questions back home now also. Well, a pro-Trump Republican may certainly primary those representatives who voted to convict Trump in the next election. Steve Pierce and I will be back in just a moment with our guest for this week on Inside New Mexico. National Guard and Reserve members are true leaders, both in the military and in the workplace. They are highly skilled and get the job done every day. Employer support of the Guard and Reserve, ESGR, can help you recruit top-notch service members to your workforce. Hiring Guard and Reserve members is good for your business and good for your community. Visit esgr.mil employers to learn more. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico, as Steve Pierce brings in our special guest. Steve? We have a special guest today, Luis Terrazas, newly elected representative from the Las Cruces area. Luis, welcome to the program. Tell the people where you live and tell the people where you represent. Well, how are you, Mr. Pierce? I'm doing good. Uh, So I actually live in Silver City, and uh, District 39 is a very big district. It starts out in Silver City, goes all the way to Las Cruces, and then swings all the way up north to Caballo Lake, and then comes back over the mountain back to Silver City. So I've got a pretty good district. It takes me about five hours to make it all the way around. Well, tell me what you do outside of this uh, new venture into politics. I'm a family man. I'm, I'm married to my wonderful wife, Mandy, and five children. My son's following in the footsteps of being a funeral director, which is what I do. And then I've got Alyssa, who's a biologist, and she's just moved to Texas to seek her career and push forward on that. And then I've got Ashley, who's in the Air Force. And then I've got two others in elementary school. But I'm a funeral director. I own a funeral home in Silver City and one in Deming. I've got a small office in Las Luces and a monument company and a crematory. So that's really what I do. I'm used to uh, 
having a close relationship, I guess, with my community. So this is something similar, but of course, a little bit different. Similar in some ways and different in others because it's just, we're used to tension in the funeral business, but not like this. So usually we can overcome the little tension that you see from the grief that people are experiencing. But, uh, you know, our political climate sure is hot right now. And, and I'd sure like to see that temper down and get into a climate where we can talk to one another and respect one another and come together on the common issues that we all love and seek the same outcome. So what motivated you to run for elected office? Well, what motivated me, Mr. Pierce, is that we felt like the ideas that were being presented for us politically were not in line with our community. One of them was mining. There was a, some mining bills that were heard and introduced into the house that were scary and seeing a future for our area. We're a mining town. And, you know, there's some other things that I saw that were they were challenging our Constitution, and I'm one of those guys that believes in it wholeheartedly. And my family comes from, they've been in the military, and we I had a grandfather who was a Purple Heart, and my father was in Vietnam. My, even my mother-in-law was in the military, a lot of my family. So I know what they've sacrificed and what they've done. Of course, and last but not least is my daughter. She's in the Air Force. So you know, they give a lot of themselves for us to live the life that we have. And so I'm a very, very strong supporter of the Constitution. And I just see so many legislators who are challenging it, even though we go up there and swear to uphold it. And so I really wanted to do this for the future generations, my children, people's grandchildren. I feel that we should be giving them at minimum the same environment that we grew up. And if we can make it better, that's even that's even better. But I see it eroding and I just wanted to do what I could for my community and give back because they sure have been wonderful with me over the years. I started out in business washing cars out of a five-gallon bucket and grew a business car wash. And I've been in the funeral business for years working at other places and was able to build my own company and do that by being able to borrow and work together with a community bank that right now I believe is being challenged by the, by the state. And uh, I ended up being on that board some years later and sit and understand and work to help our community with projects and, and things like that. So, again, we're in a different time, Mr. Pearson. So I think there's a lot of miscommunication out there on what is being actually portrayed in, in as far as whether it's banking or constitutional rights or Second Amendment and other things that are just opening our eyes and going, is, is that really the direction our state wants to go? So hopefully I can make a difference. I sure am trying hard. I can tell you that. So what's your initial reaction to being there in the legislature? Is it all that you thought well, it would be? Is it more? Is it kind of mundane? Tell me a little bit about it. Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, I am doing the best that I can. I really want to meet people, you know, other people in the legislature. Since I was a kid, I always believed that there's good in everybody. We just have to find common ground to have the discussions that benefit both of us. And even though we have differences, I think we can come together. That being said, I feel kind of robbed this session. We're not able to meet a lot of our colleagues. And so I think that diminishes the ability of one to, like for myself, to really reach across the aisle because we're just isolated, you know. I'm up in Santa Fe. I moved up to Santa Fe for the session, but there's a lot of people that are staying home. And so I think it's a big part that is missing. Well, I told my wife, it's really sad. I pulled up to the Capitol, you know, Rotunda, and just to see it fenced off, it really was disappointing. It's a people's house. 
I know we have to be safe and we have to take care of everyone, but I personally haven't seen a single protester out there. And I just think it's a, the signal that we send out when we have events, stuff like that is not a good one. So I sure hope that we can change that. And even if they can't come into the building, but giving the public the ability to see that it's open and that we're just there and that the people's house is there not fenced up. It looks kind of like an embassy or something different. The image is uh, disappointing. Now, what committees are you serving on? I'm on uh, Labor and Veterans and Health and Human Services. Let me tell you, we get all the eye-opening stuff. (laughs) We get uh, the $15 an hour minimum wage, and uh, I think we're going to have cannabis, and we hear all the sometimes the eye-opening stuff. So it's been interesting. I am learning. You know what? I've been a $3.35 minimum wage earner. I've been a small businessman that started with no employees to one employee and now having 22 employees and different offices in the Southwest. I kind of understand what it takes to survive and what is very hard on a small business. But not only that, it's not just about business. You know, we're all tied together. The businessman with his employee, a good business cannot be run with other employees and the employees need the business in order to have a job. And they need both of us to work together to give the people, right, your customer, a decent price and a good product and service. It's like a partnership. And when you break that up and it gets out of balance, maybe someone will do better than the other one. But one entity in that is going to suffer. I'm really worried about all these increases during the pandemic, all the stress that they're putting on small business. A lot of the legislation that's being introduced is a one-size-fits-all, and it's really going to hurt a very small businessman. I guess the legislation is trying to give a one-size-fits-all where your corporate and your small one-employee businessman are treated to the same scale. And it can't be that way. But ultimately, the people that hurt are going to be those on a fixed income, that widow, that elderly person that gets Social Security and that's all they live on. And when they're passing legislation like this, it just gets passed down to the customer, the cost increases, and it hurts the most vulnerable. And so I really, really encourage that we have a good conversation and stop for a moment and work together to try and find balance on a balanced approach to respect everyone in the state and their situation. I believe it's just educating each other on where we're at. Well, folks, we've been visiting with Luis Terrazas, the newly elected representative from down in the Silver City area, represents a very large geographic district there. As you can tell, he's a voice for just a common everyday working class person, but he's also one of the few voices that knows businesses inside and out. That's the thing in policymaking is that uh, both sides need people who understand what it takes to have a successful business that will provide jobs here in New Mexico. So Luis Terrazas is going to be one of the great voices from the Republican side of the aisle in Santa Fe for the foreseeable future. Best wishes to you in this coming legislative session, but also so in your two-year term that you're representing the people of the great state of New Mexico. Thank you, sir. God bless you, and thank you for all your work, and it was a pleasure to be a part of this conversation. God bless you all. Steve Pierce and I will return in just a moment on Inside New Mexico. 
On behalf of the New Mexico Department of Health, take COVID-19 precautions. Wash your hands frequently for 20 seconds. Don't touch your face. Use a tissue or your elbow to catch your sneeze or cough. Avoid large gatherings and close contact with sick people, especially if you are elderly or high risk. If you have a cough, fever, or shortness of breath, stay home from work or school. Do not go to the ER or doctor's office without first calling the coronavirus hotline. And avoid all unnecessary out-of-state travel. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico, and I'm talking with the chairman of our Republican Party, Steve Pearson. Steve, I was curious if the seven Republicans who voted to convict President Trump would find retribution from the Republican Party, or does the Republican Party let the voters decide in their next election? I'll tell you, having served in both the state House of Representatives and then federally in the U.S. Congress, I get really nervous when a party starts putting itself in as an arbiter of the votes and as a check on the votes. Votes are very difficult. There are always reasons to vote one way. There are always reasons to vote the other way. And so if a party is not careful, they have to start choosing between a very fine line. And usually every bill has so many complexities. If the party were to speak out on one, then they would be speaking against another entire subset of the Republican Party. So I think that uh, in the case of Phelps Anderson, for instance, here, he made a, a vote for an abortion bill that incensed his constituents and they were calling, but the Republican Party of New Mexico made no comment because I I think it's very tricky ground for those U.S. senators, for the RNC, for the Republican National Committee to make comment. Now, the state party has been censuring these people who have voted in specific ways. Again, I think that they leave that up to the voters myself. Didn't Phelps Anderson leave the Republican Party? Yes. Now, at the time he voted on those, he was a Republican. He ran as a Republican just a couple of months ago. But when he left the party, that's when the Republican Party of New Mexico made comment that he should resign because he had left our party, ran as a Republican. So I uh, used the words that he basically was bait and switch. He uh, told people he was Republican, went up there, made one vote, and then rather than explain it to his constituents, that's what he should have done. He should have been patient and taken all the questions and all the heat and just uh, stayed steady on his ground. Instead, he sort of threw up his hands, walked away, and said, I'm just going to register as independent. Maybe that'll stop the people from calling. Well, that puts something on his record that I'm not sure that he wanted on his record. I'm not sure any one of us want to be a quitter in hard times. And yet that's what he did. And so we made comment that he should resign, but we did not make comment on his vote itself. I would never have commented on that because, again, having been in the body and wrestled with, am I going to vote yes or no on this bill? And sometimes, uh, a lot of times, I went to the floor not knowing and listening to the last minutes of debate and then listening to the comments of, of colleagues on the floor. And we had these discussions even before we vote. So having been in that position, I really was nervous about having the party speak out about a particular vote. Other things going on in the legislature, there's a bill, I guess we're going to allow felons to vote now. There's also HB 40, which would make private prisons illegal in New Mexico, which will devastate Cibola County and Torrance County, where there are private prisons, and will lose even more jobs. Assumably, the state would take the inmates to state prisons, but I don't think they have the room for that many. And then we'll be known as the death state between abortion and assisted suicide. Jacob Candelaria did something interesting on the Senate floor. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, we'll uh, let you listen to the clip of him actually speaking in just a moment. But Crystal Diamond was on the floor and debating the issue from the Republican side, and she held up a model of a 12-week-old infant, an unborn infant. So 12 weeks, they have clearly defined fingers and all of the bone structure. Their facial features are already intact. The sex of the child is intact. They have a heartbeat, and they're just a couple of weeks away from viability outside the womb in the case of early birth. And so this model was sent to every state legislator by the Lee County Right to Life group. And so Crystal holds up this model and says, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about a fully formed baby. And so she then went ahead and concluded her comments. Senator Candelaria from Albuquerque stood up, Democrat, and he said, I got that same prop. He said, I threw it in the trash, right in the trash. But listen to his words and then determine if you think that's the right action to take for a senator. You know, I got that same prop from right to life of wherever. I threw it away. Threw it right in the trash. Right in the trash. Why? Because it's offensive. Keep in mind, that's exactly what they do with the infants when they abort them. They don't bury them. They don't have any kind of memorial service. They can see they're fully human. Some abortions occur right up to the day of delivery. And so that uh, that Gosnell, Dr. Gosnell, you'll recall that he had fully termed infants in his freezer and in plastic bags laying around. It was ghastly. And one of them, he said, that kid could go out and play linebacker or something on the football team. It was that healthy, that large of a baby, and he still took its life. And they don't do anything except throw them in the trash. And so it was a gruesome spectacle and reminded us what happens to the real infants when he threw it in the trash. Derek, you know, in other news, we had made comment before about Karen Bash and her bill, which would have removed any penalties for sex offenders of our children, removed the penalties for pedophilia. And she actually withdrew that bill under the pressure that we first raised here on this program and on the RPNM website. But the fact that she pulled the bill is not going to keep us from campaigning against her. The idea that she would submit the bill in the first place is how you judge one of your representatives. Well, and she tried to hide it in another bill, an efficient game bill, too. So she knew that this was not going to be popular. Yeah, she absolutely was trying to conceal what she was doing in an obscure name. But then the first section of the bill dealt with fish and wildlife penalties. And then it went into penalties for pedophilia and for child predators. And so she's going to have to contend with that in the next election. I think we're going to win her seat in the next election over this one issue. Hopefully we get a good candidate in there. Yeah, we had a great candidate before, just lost by a few votes. And that candidate is going to run again. We are about out of time, but I did want to let our listeners know that if you'd like to get involved with the Republican Party of New Mexico, you can do that by checking out the website at www.gopnm.org. You can also check out the party's Facebook page and the Twitter account. The handle is at New Mexico GOP. If you'd like to talk to somebody, call party headquarters at 505-298-3662. That's 505-298-3662. For Steve Pierce, I'm Derek Underhill. We'll look forward to meeting with you again next week right here on Inside New Mexico.